Enviro History New Zealand podcast. This is Catherine Knight. In this episode, I will present a selection of the posts from the first months of 2010 that I have found particularly inspirational or illuminating. The first is a very local environmental history which illustrates what a significant difference one individual can make to our environment. The second is a contribution from one of New Zealand's most well-regarded politicians and environmental advocates, who reviews the changes in environmental attitudes in New Zealand over the last 35 years. The final story illustrates the immensely interconnected nature of environmental history in a geographical sense, highlighting the impact a Canadian had on the shape of forestry in New Zealand for years to come. The first story is from the Views of Kapiti series. As regular visitors to this site may know, I live in a region of New Zealand called the Kapiti Coast, which lies on the west coast of the southern part of the North Island of New Zealand, just north of the capital, Wellington. Its most outstanding geographical feature is the island of Kapiti, which, as a pest-free island, is now an important part of New Zealand's conservation estate. I began the Views of Kapiti series as a way of capturing stories from the region, generally through a single photograph which I feel encapsulates a story of a particular landscape. Though these stories may be localised, they carry lessons or themes that are more universal than the geographic bounds of the landscape itself. That certainly applies to the story of Whare Mauku Stream. This is a stream which originates in the hills east of Parbarumu Township and which flows through the heart of the township before meeting the Tasman Sea. The stream is notable to visitors and residents of Parbarumu alike for the fact that it runs underneath the Coastlands Shopping Centre built in 1969. Seeing it straightened, stripped of its indigenous ecology and thrust into a jarring constructed landscape, many might mistake it for a man-made drain. Few would be able to imagine how it might have looked in its natural state before this area was developed for farmland and settlements 150 years ago. Before European settlement of this area in the second half of the 19th century, the stream meandered through coastal swamp forests and wetlands dominated by Koekoe, Kahikatea, Swamp Maire, Pukatea and Harakeke or Swamp Flax into a constantly changing lagoon estuary at its outlet at the Tasman Sea. But unlike its journey to the sea a century ago, this little stream must now traverse substantial man-made terrain and infrastructure in order to reach its destination, including the main trunk railway, the State Highway, the Coastlands Shopping Centre and part of Paraparumu Airport. One place, the Kaitawa Reserve in eastern Paraparumu, provides a glimpse of how the stream might have looked before Kapiti was developed for farming and settlements more than a century ago. Here, the stream is clear and healthy, its banks verdant with lush, regenerating bush and its burbling waters habitat to kaura, freshwater crayfish, kokupu, and other freshwater species. Yet, had it not been for an alert and conservation-minded resident, this too may have been destroyed. Late in 1995, a member of the New Zealand Forest and Bird Society, Molly Neal, 
saw a notice in the local newspaper stating that the council planned to sell some of its excess reserves. One of these was the Kaitawa Reserve. Molly and other Forest and Bird members recognised that although overrun by gorse, blackberry, crack willow and other exotic weed species, the Kaitawa was a piece of nature worth preserving and objected to the sale. Instead, they proposed that a team of volunteers would work on removing the weeds if the council would provide spray and native plants for revegetation. A group of about 10 residents have worked untiringly on weeding and revegetating the reserve with more than 10,000 plants since the winter of 1996. Molly Neal, who was already elderly when she began on this project, has since passed away and a memorial set amidst native plantings now stands to remember her spirit and her efforts. The second story is a contribution from former Green Party co-leader Jeanette Fitzsimons, who resigned from Parliament in February this year after a long and influential political career. Enviro History New Zealand asked Jeanette about the major shifts she has observed over the last four decades in the way we, as New Zealanders, view our environment. In this podcast, I will outline her observations on the way our attitudes have changed towards nuclear power and indigenous forestry. Jeanette returned to New Zealand in late 1974 after seven years overseas. She relates how, at the time, the New Zealand government was in the process of deciding where to put New Zealand's first nuclear power station. However, a citizens' movement was launched to oppose the power station with a petition collecting a third of a million signatures. This led to a Royal Commission of Inquiry into the need for nuclear power, communities around the country declaring themselves nuclear-free zones, and eventually, a decade later, the government decision that New Zealand would become nuclear-free. She further relates how organised public pressure and campaigning also turned around the policy on logging native forests. In 1975, Graham Searle of Friends of the Earth published his book Rush to Destruction, where he documented proposals for a scheme to log the West Coast beech forest for wood chips. That didn't eventuate, but the threat still lingered, and the Native Forests Action Council worked for years to raise awareness with another petition, the Maruia Declaration, calling for an end to the logging of old-growth forests. In the 80s, government subsidies were established to cut down native forests to convert to plantation. In the 90s, proposals to log indigenous forest on the west coast of the South Island led to a public outcry, with activists staging sit-ins in the trees. Finally, in 1999-2000, the Greens and the new Labour government negotiated an end to the logging of all indigenous state forests. As she notes, the idea of turning ancient trees into wood chip is now as alien as the thought of going nuclear. Yet, this change in policy was only a short decade ago. Jeanette suggests that these two issues illustrate a permanent change in mindset among New Zealanders. However, 
the same cannot be said of attitudes to farming, which is an area of the environment that demonstrates conflicting trends and divergent views. This is explored more in the post online. The third and final story in this podcast is that of Leon McIntosh Ellis, a Canadian who became the first director of New Zealand State Forest Service in 1920. He was extremely influential in shaping both the organisation and the forest management policies it implemented. Ellis was a proponent of plantation forestry, and one of his most noticeable legacies, still apparent today, is the extensive plantation forests of the central North Island. As noted in the post on Radiata Pine, New Zealand boasts the most extensive plantation forests in the Southern Hemisphere, the Kainaroa Forest. Ellis was born in 1887 in Ontario, Canada. At age 24, he graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Forestry from the University of Toronto. Eight years later, in 1919, he was interviewed for the Director of Forest position in New Zealand's newly created Forestry Department, and arrived to take up the position the following year. Within a year, he had a Comprehensive Forests Act introduced and a new State Forest Service established, This was achieved despite public service resistance to the creation of new government departments and the employment of specialists. He set out to persuade politicians and the public alike that forestry was more than just tree planting. In his view, it also involved the sustained management of indigenous forests and should recognise recreation as a legitimate forest use. From 1921 to 23, he conducted a national inventory of forest resources, which convinced him that state plantation of exotic forests was required to meet future timber demands. In 1925, he announced a visionary plan for a 300,000-acre planting program to be accomplished within a decade in order to secure long-term timber supplies. In 1928, having achieved most of what he had set out to do in New Zealand, Ellis suddenly and without explanation announced his resignation. He migrated to Australia with his family and established himself as a forestry consultant in Sydney. However, he maintained an ongoing and active interest in forestry in New Zealand until his death in Melbourne in 1941. This story reminds us how New Zealand's environmental history has been shaped by people from many parts of the world, and this is a theme that is explored in numerous posts on this site. The influence of the Scottish conservation ethic, particularly in the southern regions of New Zealand, the German naturalists and scientists who were vocal in their concerns about what they saw as senseless destruction in New Zealand's early colonial years, and the hardy Scandinavians who tamed the forest-covered expanses of the Manawatu and Hawke's Bay, suffering considerable personal hardship in the process. It is these and many other people who have shaped and continue to shape our environment, and it is these human interactions which form environmental history. Environmental histories not only lie behind every landscape we can see, but something we are all part of. Though the degree and nature of the part we play is dependent on the decisions and actions we take. This ends the third episode of the Enviro History New Zealand podcast. Thank you for listening and your ongoing support of the Enviro History New Zealand website. 
I hope you will join me for the next episode, which will introduce more of the stories and themes explored on the website. To read more about the articles discussed in this podcast and other articles exploring our environmental history, or to make a comment or contribution, go to http colon forward slash forward slash envirohistorynz.wordpress.com Thank you.